This is Hope and Dread Extra. I'm Charlotte Burns. And I'm Alan Schwartzman. Hope and Dread was a program about the tectonic shifts in power in art. We've heard from people who are making change and from people who are resisting change. Our guests were brimming with ideas and off-topic thoughts that we just didn't have room for within the documentary series. But we didn't want to leave them on the cutting room floor. So now we're bringing you a set of short, sharp bonus episodes featuring some of your season favourites, which will be dropping twice a week. In this episode, we're bringing you more from Max Hollein, the director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Museums are on the front line of democracy. So we asked Max about the role of the institution today. It's clear that the, the institution means different things for, to different people. We do so many things that are not directly connected to a museum visit. Uh, we are, of course, an archive and a repository for the cultural heritage of the world. We are basically an, a university with the, probably the, 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 the biggest faculty of art historians in the country in one place. Um, and to a certain extent, we also um, act as some kind of uh, foreign cultural ministry even with all the different activities that we do around the world uh, given our um, not only our expertise but our involvement to collections that we house many people don't know that we still run excavation sites in other countries many people don't know that we we run uh, like a fellowship program for indian conservatives in india we are doing rescue missions in areas like syria and others uh, for, for, for endangered cultural heritage a few years ago, actually, I was in Hong Kong and I bumped into a museum director and he said, Charlotte, nobody wants to be a museum director anymore. It's like politics. We're only attracting the worst people who are coming into it for the worst reasons or who just can do it because they already have the money not to bother. How true do you think that is of your job? Well, let me first say that I'm very happy to be a museum director and I'm very happy to be the, uh, the director of the Met. But it is indeed, of course, challenging. And it's complex, but that comes also with the importance of that institution and, and the role that it plays. The, the whole conversation also about values, about our society, about how we can come together, how we convene, how we show our, our culture, how we re, uh, respect and represent various cultures is being uh, negotiated, done and expressed in institutions like ours. And that's a really interesting and exciting way of doing it but it is for sure very complex i would be very nervous if we are living in this current time and nobody cares what museums have uh, are doing and busy and your job is so easy because nobody anyway cares that would be a, a real problem actually do you think that that's difficult for museums because they are rooted in the past their structure comes from everything that they've always been, that's what you build upon if you're an institution. And obviously leadership and the boards are of certain generations. Um, do you think that is part of the problem with the clashes and the misunderstandings? First of all, museums are by, by definition conservative institutions. And in a sense, the idea that uh, basically you have to continue to not only evolve, but actually to question yourself is is important for an institution, but there it's it sometimes is a complex and sometimes even cumbersome process. 
And I think many of the things that you just mentioned, of course, they are not just about museums. It's kind of, it's just where we are in society. And it's also not unique just for our moment in time. You see that happening in different incarnations, of course, throughout the 20th century and maybe also the 19th century. It has to do with technological innovation. It has to do with changes in society. It uh, basically also is, a, I think, a lot of what we're experiencing now is rightly so. It's, it's basically also the result of capitalism and the, and the spread of, of wealth going farther and farther away. And all of these factors play a role in that. People often ask me right now is, so what is the, what is the biggest impact that the pandemic had on the institution? And I answer to that because of the pandemic and to see everything that happened during that time. Some of it is, of course, connected to the pandemic. Some of it is basically just because the pandemic has been an accelerator of things uh, that were already relevant. Uh, it basically means institution became a bit more insecure. And that level of insecurity in a sense that we, we had a refreshed tendency to question ourselves and to question not only what we are doing, but actually how that allowed us a flexibility and an openness uh, that probably wasn't there before on that level. Um, so honestly, also for me coming in, I feel we have been able to do and implement a lot more of the so to say, plans that we had when I came in the last year and a half than I, I was able to do at the beginning because it basically the, the institution became a bit more flexible, more open, more receptive for sometimes it's kind of a re-evaluation, sometimes it's a kind of completely reconfiguration, sometimes it's just an evolution or more importantly, uh, often sometimes it's also a reckoning and an acceptance that we, we not only were where uh, did the the right thing not really the right thing there, but we we actually failed, and that that's that's important as well. Institutions like ours have a tendency to to feel that everything that we do is excellent, and that basically is a, like a protective shield. But uh, once you question that that kind of idea of excellence and what it really means, and you want to be excellent, but actually who defines that and what is being defined, then the conversation becomes more challenging and interesting. So you you mentioned that capitalism and that brings us to funding structures, and obviously you know American institutions have always been majority private funded, but you know the massive um, inequality that we've seen in wealth distribution over the past generation. The, the kind of pay-to-play model becomes a bit more fraught. And so there are lots of calls for more diversity on boards, for different thinking. How do you sit with that? And how do you also think about, you know, as an institution, taking that on board, the idea that maybe the connective tissue between the, the wealth of the board and the broader society that it's sort of aiming to represent could be better, could be a little more meaty? Well, you see... And that's clearly also in America, I think, uh, even happening on an, an escalated scale than, than in other places. You, you've seen during the pandemic an, a growth in wealth in certain areas that this was extraordinary uh, compared to, to the, also the, the challenge and the suffering experienced somewhere else. You have uh, in the US kind of a, a system of capitalism that basically on the one hand supports that, on the other hand, there is a clear not only understanding, but basically almost like a social agreement about uh, philanthropy 
being the basis for a whole number of offerings to society. And that's not only arts and culture museums, but it's also, of course, uh, hospitals and education and many, many other levels. What we need to make sure is that um, not only that we show the relevance of our institution and how it needs to be supported, but actually also that that support is not preconditioned uh, in a sense that our institution should only go in that direction or or it it narrows our development in a time where we actually have to expand. I don't see that happening. I I don't see that risk uh, right now. I think that there is... uh, there's um, an enormous uh, amount of level of both support and willingness uh, to do that. Uh, but of course, we work and we operate uh, in a somewhat privileged position as a major institution here in New York and an institution that also is carried through global support, actually, from other uh, donors and philanthropists all around the world. It might be very different if you are a cultural institution in a smaller uh, city uh, somewhere else in the U- US uh, and that might, might be a different conversation then. But still, we still operate in a certain way in a, in a fairly privileged environment. Um, so I could not basically pretend that we basically cover all realities of life in all of our different uh, structures. And I, it's clearly something that even you and I, we probably don't uh, uh, sometimes even know about or I are not even aware of some of the struggles that others have, even though we actually are in touch with them because we we live in them maybe on a different uh, level in the context of of income or whatever. So we so we have empathy. We we also understand some of some of the uh, the complexity. But it's if you grew up differently or if you have this, uh, this or that uh, background. So for us to be able to not only have that diversity on on staff as well as on the board, but actually also have that diversity being able to be experienced uh, is crucial. So I don't want to delegate this to to art and artists, but I think they play an important role in that uh, as well. And so in a certain way, we have a a very important conduit there and as well as a platform that can can address uh, some of these, uh, these, these issues. I agree with that, but I also then would have to come back to things like the data study where we see that you know, overall as an institutional trend, both collecting of work by women and work by African-American artists, according to the studies we did, were around a fifth of what they ought be if you looked at the demographics of America. And that with women, there'd been no progress. You know, this peaked in 2009. So yes, we can rely on the artists for their vision, but what if the artists are also representing the problem? And, you know, we're just seeing artists from a narrow um, walk of life being represented. I see that. I, I think you on the one hand see the, uh, the not only I mean, the efforts and the, and the priorities and the strategy. On the other hand, it's clear a, a museum is always kind of connected to, to, a, to a past. So just the sheer fact that uh, the bequests that we get now, the collections that are being gifted to us now, are more often than not being, they were assembled 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? Um, the endowments that we have right now and how they've been structured and uh, also uh, how they've been restricted for what, for what they, sh- they must only be used, basically also bake a certain level of history into the institution that you only can gradually change. So in a certain way, we are certainly not the, the most, the quickest 
adapt if you look into percentage, but it's it's kind of a longer, longer game. And we, we always have this kind of delay that's baked into uh, the whole kind of system of our institution. Uh, so you, you, you would need to see that in this broader context. On the other hand, I think you you will see all the, the activity and the efforts and also the priorities that have been set in the last years or in the last decade and kind of how that uh, plays out. Um, Percentage-wise, in total, at the Met, we will never get to uh, probably a satisfactory number in many areas uh, around even just the question of works by women compared to to men. But in that sense, we need to make that also uh, part of our narrative and our history. Why why that is, and and where and where we go from there. Is there a responsibility? Do you think to reconsider gifts? Absolutely. You would be surprised how often we turn down a proposed gift. I think our priorities in regard to our acquisition policies are very clear and also very, very directed. So it's not as if we are just like walking around and just seeing what, whatever we we see like or is being offered to us makes it makes its way into the museum, right? Um, that's not how, how how it works, of course. But there is a um, there's a certain level of history executes a certain filter and let, let's take this almost like to a, to a very broader context if a culture is extinguished by another culture it's harder to find artifacts of that extinguished culture the representation that you have in in the museum also in a, uh, in a certain way represents that history that biased history or, or also that flawed history or that or, or levels of inequity etc and that's something that you can form in a different way and you can uh, you can improve. But the more honest thing sometimes is to kind of, yes, we improve that, but actually you we also need to be honest uh, why that is and where, where that's coming from and why it will always be that way. The show's called Hope and Dread. When you look ahead, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel dreadful? How do you feel about culture as you look to the future? I'm a total optimist by nature, but actually also someone who I think hope is part of the human condition but i would even say it, it's more positive than that i think we we are right now at a at a moment where um we just overcame uh, a monumental uh, global crisis and uh, and we will see the effects of it for many more years uh, some of them substantial and very uh, complicated and negative on the other hand uh, it's only our own energy our positive uh, thinking and our our empathy and our way of working together how we can move forward so and, and museums and maybe also in that sense also museum director would play an important role in that for more from max tune into episode four of hope and dread burning down the house episode five infernal affairs and six take me to your leader Listen to Hope and Dread Extra every Tuesday and Thursday and subscribe wherever it is you find your podcasts. Hope and Dread is brought to you by Art and the new editorial platform created by Schwartzman and. The executive producer is Alan Schwartzman, who co-hosts the show together with me, Charlotte Burns of Studio Burns, which produces the series. Robert Bound is our associate editor. Holly Fisher mixes and edits the sound. Additional research has been provided by Julia Hernandez, and our theme music is by the inimitable Philip Glass. <laughs>